kind of hard to believe that was 21 years ago today. And 9-11 means different things to different people. We, we all can probably think back to where we were uh, when we heard about, you know, the, the towers being hit and uh, all the things that ensued from there. And most of us probably found ourselves glued to a TV for hours and hours and hours trying to wrap our mind around what it was that we were actually seeing. And uh, I, I recently was re-watching a couple documentaries about 9-11 and I don't know why, but this year it just seemed to hit me a little, a little different, a little harder than in times past. And I, I was actually trying to talk to my kids about 9-11, about what it all means and, and that kind of stuff. And for, for just a moment, I, I, I was thinking, imagining about the people who after the first plane hit the tower, uh, they were standing out in the street all confused, all looking up saying, what, what just happened? none of them, or probably none of them, had any inclination or any thought that someone was trying to attack our country or that it was all pre-planned and all of those kind of things. Many people, even a lot of the first responders, when they showed up, it was an accident. It was a freak accident where the plane hit the tower. And yet, as they stood there, scratching their heads, talking to one another, looking in confusion uh, as the building was on fire, the second plane hit the tower. And then all of a sudden the atmosphere began to significantly change because now we've gone from uh, an accident to someone is doing this purposefully. If you'll allow me just for a little bit of time, and like I said, I hope I can get through all my notes, but this morning I just want to talk on this simple topic, never forget, never forget. I can say this morning that I stand before you with a heavy heart. I don't honestly know if I will even be able to make it through my notes, not just for the length, but for the heaviness that I feel within my own spirit about today. So before we start, I just want to say a quick prayer. Lord, I release your spirit in this house. Lord, I pray that even now the burden that has been growing in my heart would begin to permeate your house. There is a need for healing here. There is a need for a renewing of strength. And God, now more than ever, your church needs a fresh fire to burn away the blinders this world constantly puts on us. Let your church see what is happening in the spirit. Beyond the politics, beyond the civil unrest, there is a war being waged. But it's not for land and it's not for money. There is a war being waged for the very soul of man. Open our hearts to receive your word. Amen. Deuteronomy 6 and 4 a passage that I imagine everyone in this house has heard time and time and time again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This verse has long been used as a battle cry to declare the oneness of God. You hear it shouted as a declaration of God's sovereignty. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one one Lord. There is no one like our God. There is none above him and there is none beside him. He is God 
alone. There is none before him and there shall be none after him. There is only one throne in heaven and only one who sits thereon. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. He existed before all creation. He spoke the worlds into existence. He alone holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Truly there is no one like my God. All things were made by him, and all things are subject to him. And often this is the extent to which this verse is used. And while I believe with all of my heart that all of the things I just said are absolutely, unequivocally true, this verse was not given as a celebratory declaration for Israel. It was given as a dire warning. But before we dive into what this verse is all about, before we discuss what this warning is, let me tell you a story. It's 7 a.m. on a beautiful December morning. The sun is peeking through the clouds, warming the air to an awesome 70 degrees with a gentle breeze. As the sun begins to peek over the horizon, the mountains and the sky are painted with a warm orange hue. It's a Sunday morning, and the beaches are quickly filling with young sailors trying to take advantage of a rare break for military life. Young couples can be seen walking hand in hand as they search for the perfect spot to put down a blanket and to soak up the rays. This is paradise. It's a dream destination for many sailors. This is Hawaii. Or to be more specific, this is Pearl Harbor. But in less than one hour and 15 minutes, this picture-perfect paradise would become an unimaginable nightmare. At 7.55, the first Japanese planes appear in the sky. At first, many of the beachgoers ignore the sights, thinking planes flying overhead is nothing new. But just a few minutes later, they were aware that it wasn't just a training exercise. 75 minutes was all it took for 2,403 souls to slip into eternity. 75 minutes was enough to change the course of not just our nation, but our world. It would be the next day that President Roosevelt would stand and deliver an address that I'm sure many of us have heard before, and if you haven't, I encourage you to listen to it. And he says these words that, that hopefully we have all heard before, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. 
In this same speech, he announced that the U.S. had officially joined the fight in World War II. And by the end of this war, somewhere between 40 and 50 million, million people lay dead. It's a number that I can honestly say I can't fathom 40 or 50 million people dying from a singular war. On May 8th, 1945, the war in Europe was officially over. There were celebrations in countries across the globe. Finally, the worst war in man's history had come to an end. Not all that much later, in December of 1991, a small newspaper in Allentown, Pennsylvania, decided to see what the youth of Allentown knew about Pearl Harbor. It was the 50th anniversary of the most devastating thing to ever occur on U.S. soil. More people died in one hour and 15 minutes than from any other singular event in the history of our nation. Surely a tragedy of this magnitude is taught to children by their parents. Surely schools are doing an exhaustive study of this, the nation's most horrendous moment. But sadly, this is not what the reporters in Allentown found. I'm going to read a very, very small excerpt from this, this story that was written. And it starts like this. How could schoolchildren not know that the day after the attack that U.S. declared war on Japan, launching the nation into World War II. Yet the truth is, young Americans today are only vaguely familiar with what Pearl Harbor even means. One young man, Mr. Wolf, said, I, I've heard of it, but I don't really know what it is. On a recent warm Tuesday afternoon, the morning call asked several young people at the Allentown Library if they had heard or if they had any ideas what the words Pearl Harbor meant to the United States. And unfortunately, it was clear by the answers that Pearl Harbor does not stand out in their minds as an important date in American history. One man answered, from what I know about it, it there was an unexpected bombing of Pearl Harbor I'm pretty sure the Japanese did something to us to retaliate, so we bombed Pearl Harbor. So much for never forgetting. For months and months, and even for a couple years after World War II, people were united in the idea that we would never forget as a nation how that we were almost brought to our knees. Generations should have gone on to say, never will we forget the sacrifice that young men paid with their lives in countries far from their hometown. But what, this, what does this have to do with Deuteronomy 6 and 4? Let's look back at Deuteronomy chapter 6. And before we start reading, I want to give you just a, a small bit of context here. By this point in time, Israel had been miraculously delivered from Egypt. But unfortunately, many of the Jews took Egypt with them. 
They witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. They watched God provide water from a rock. They ate of the manna that fell from heaven, and yet they still doubted God. As a result of their disbelief, an entire generation of people made themselves ineligible to make it into the promised land. And now we find Moses pleading with the people who will possess the promise. Start in verse 3 and listen. Hear, therefore, O Israel. The word hear means to obey. It doesn't just mean listen to the words I'm saying. It means listen and follow through with what I'm telling you. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee. In the land that floweth with milk and honey, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And verse 5 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and uh, on the doorposts of their house, and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. To give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. And I'm going to pause right here for just one moment. All of this thus far is, is fine. Moses is talking to the younger generation that's going to go into the promised land. And he's giving them somewhat of a word of encouragement. He's helping them to be ready to possess the land in which they are going. All of this is good things, right? For me, whenever I read scripture, I I, I try just to imagine for myself, what what was the atmosphere like when they were hearing this? What what is it like that the the people were possibly thinking as they're hearing the words of Moses? And, and, And for me, what I imagine that they probably are thinking in their head is, finally. We've heard our whole lives how that God called Abraham, how God told Abraham that there would be a promise, an inheritance of a land that was going to be given to him and to his descendants. They heard about how Isaac was going to be offered up on the altar, but God made a sacrificial lamb to be in his place. They heard of all the hardships that the people endured to bring them to this point. They no doubt heard of the generations before them that lived an entire life in bondage. An entire life under the cruel thumb of the Egyptians. So no doubt in their heart, maybe their their joy is beginning to well up. Finally, we get to see what it is that God has in store for us. But the words that Moses was speaking to them was not simply a, hey, yeah, let's go have a party. Because Moses knew that despite all of the blessings, despite all of the amazing things that awaited them, if the children of Israel ever forgot who it was that brought them to this land, the blessing would become a curse. 
for them. That's why in verse 12, Moses goes on to say, Then beware lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. This is why, just a few verses earlier, Moses told them that you are to teach it to your children. You are to teach them when they raise us up, when they lay down in bed, when they leave the house and when they enter. Day after day, you must teach them that it is God who brought them to the promised land. Not because they were Jews, not because they in and of themselves were more deserving than anyone, but because God was gracious and merciful to his people. Because the moment Israel stopped teaching it would be the moment they would be cursed. I would love to be able to say to you right now that Israel went on and followed through with this and and taught their children and taught their, their grandchildren and their grandchildren's children about the goodness of God, about the hardship they endured to enter into the promised land. Sadly, instead, I have to tell you about Judges chapter 2. Oh, for a short time after they entered the land, Joshua led the people in victory. For a short time in the promise, they looked to Joshua, who led them in righteousness before God. For a short time, they honored what was given to them by the Creator. But it wouldn't be long until Scripture tells us that Joshua the son of Nun died, and there arose a generation who knew not their God. All of the years, all of the hardship, all of the suffering that was endured to reach the promised land, now in a moment of complacency is lost. You see, church, we have to be careful that we don't never let The contentment we feel in God's blessings lead us to a place of complacency. Yes, we should be happy. Yes, we should have joy in the Lord. But never let the blessings that God has given you and me take the place of always honoring and obeying the word of God. Now, lest you think this is just some Old Testament story, Jesus himself brings this back to the people in Matthew chapter 7, chapter seven, verses 13 and 14. He says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which goeth or go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Moses told the people that God has set you on a course to be in a position that no one before them was in. To walk in a land of promise, in a relationship with God. But because their eyes turned away from the God who created them, they found themselves deviating from the straight path to the broad way that led to their destruction. And Jesus repeats this in Matthew 7. He says, listen, 
I've taught you parables. I've shown you miracles. And you're going to see more. But be warned that you never turn away from the words I have taught you. Because it's the words that keep you on that straight path. It's the relationship with God that keeps you on the straight path. It's not the blessings. It's not all the niceties. Only our relationship with God keeps us on that path. You see, after September 11th, many expected American houses of worship to be jam-packed with parishioners seeking refuge community and a place to grieve. I remember shortly after 9-11 seeing all the politicians standing on the steps of the Capitol singing God bless America, Democrat, Republican, Independent, and whatever else you want to add, standing there side by side singing God bless America, unity that our country hadn't seen in years, in decades, maybe all the way back to World War II. You see, in World War II, the tragedy and destruction brought a nation into a still resolve to support one another. It was a time where people willingly sacrificed because they recognized the call. But we saw that just a few generations later, it was lost on the youth. They didn't know what it meant to have to sacrifice to save their very way of life. And yet here we are in September 11th, and, and people at this point, we see the numbers of people going to church initially, they do go up. I remember where I was when September 11th happened. I remember exactly what I was doing. I also remember the few months after 9-11 that churches were, were, were on fire, it seemed, more than they had been before. People were crying out to God. And I would love to say... That that accident, that, that, that tragedy, I should say, brought America into a revival like it had never seen. And a revival that permanently changed the hearts of man. But I can't say that. Because while more people did go to church, it was very short-lived. There was a gentleman, a researcher, who was looking at this phenomenon. Let me tell you what he said. People thought this type of crisis of national significance would lead people to be more religious, and it did. But it was very short-lived. There was a blip in church attendance, and then it went back to normal. It's sad how quickly we as a nation forget. No doubt churches did see a, a sharp rise in Sunday attendance after 9-11. But within just a few weeks or a few months, church attendance dropped precipitously. The crowds had their Jesus fix. They had their moment of comfort in God's presence and decided to turn and walk out of the door back to the life they were leading like September 11th never happened in the first place. But to the families of those who lost a loved one, on that day, or to the family of those who lost sons and daughters, their life 
will be forever changed. I have a short video I want to play before we close this out. And I have to warn you, it's a little heavy. But we need to remember. What? Seven thirty-seven. What? The world. Who are you talking to? Oh God! Oh my God! Loving and fighting, accusing and Tuesday, nine forty-seven a.m. Hi, baby. I'm baby. You have to listen to me carefully. I'm on a plane that's been hijacked. I'm on the plane. I'm calling from the plane. I want to tell you I love you. Please tell my children that I love them very much. And I'm so sorry, babe. I hope to be able to see your face again, baby. I love you. Bye. Jules, this is Ryan. Uh, listen, on an airplane that's been hijacked. And things will go well. I'm looking good. I just want you to know I absolutely love you. I want you to do good. So happy to find uh, same to my parents and everybody, and I just totally love you, and uh, I'll see you in the future. Hi, babe. United 93, that traffic for you is 1 o'clock, 12 miles eastbound, 370. Negative contact, we're looking, United 93. United 93, Cleveland, if you hear the center right then. They got that big stop. Keep it remaining to be. You have a ball board. United 175, New York. We have some problems over here right now. We might have a hijack over here, too. Yeah, I got aircraft that come out east of the White House. All right, go, go ahead and Crystal stop. Crystal City, just north of Crystal City. Uh, I, yeah, stop all the I've seen this video several times, and it's never any easier. I think about the despair that these people felt in that moment. We can understand the gravity of the situation. We can understand the emotion of someone being lost. But church, I fear that sometimes we forget the gravity of people going to hell. You see, for as easy as it is, to see stuff like this and to cry and to mourn the loss of people, do we have the same conviction, the same sense of loss and hurt when we look at our neighbors walking down a path of destruction and we continue on with their life day after day, content in our nice house, content in, in the, the, the things that we get to do, When did we forget that the purpose of God bringing salvation to you and to me was to save families 
the heartache of watching their loved ones spend an eternity absent from God. This is the burden that's been welling in my heart. And I tell you, I've had to repent more than once. God help me not to be so concerned about my job, about my education, about money, about influence, that I forget that the war we fight is for eternity and that nothing should ever come before our job of being ambassadors of Christ. Pastor Powell, I, I, I feel I want, to, I want to ask you to come close us in a word of prayer.